legislature, uh, with severe pressure from Verizon, did enact that legislation. And so there we were, uh, a new piece of legislation that uh, was really an ugly bill. Hi there, this is Lisa Gonzalez from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. Welcome to the Community Broadband Bits podcast. We often share info about state telecom legislation, either via our blog or through interviews with guests on the Broadband Bits podcast. This week, Chris visits with Jim Baller once again to learn about modern historical events in telecommunications. Jim is president and senior principal of the Baller Herbst Law Group. He's been involved in many of the state fights at the legislative level and shares some of those stories with us. Jim's intimate legislative experience can help us contend with future legislative battles at the state level. Here are Chris and Jim. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. And we're continuing our multi-part series on the history of municipal networks, uh, cable networks, fiber networks, and eventually wireless networks. Uh, Jim Baller has joined us once again. Thank you, Jim. Nice to be back, Chris. Uh, We've had a a lot of positive responses, starting right with the first episode, where a lot of people were really interested. So I'm glad that we're taking the time to to do this in, in several shows rather than trying to rush through it. So the the last time where we left off, we were speaking about how uh, a number of communities, uh, Chelan, Grant County, both in Washington, uh, Kutztown in Pennsylvania, BVU, Bristol, Virginia, uh, and Dalton, Georgia, those were some of the earliest fiber-to-the-home networks in the United States where local governments really picked up a new technology, ran with it, and helped to commercialize it. Um, and, and we're going to pick up right after that with the private sector uh, in 2004, pushing back and saying, no, this is our turf. Local governments need not apply. Pennsylvania passes a law at the urging of Verizon that basically makes it all but impossible for a community to build its own network. And you rightly compared it to the sinking of the Lusitania. It wasn't the end of the story. It was actually just the beginning of it. So what happened right after this law passed? Well, let me go back a step, if I can, and just put the whole year of uh, 2004 into context. In April of 2004, the Supreme Court decided the Missouri case, and uh, it ruled that um, while uh, keeping municipalities out of uh, telecommunications might well be a bad idea from a policy standpoint. From the standpoint of statutory interpretation, um, Congress did not go far enough in uh, stating on the face of the statute that it intended for the FCC uh, to be able to preempt state laws that prohibited municipalities from providing communication services. We covered that in our in our first show that you and I right. did in this series. So, so the Supreme Court basically said, hey, it might be a really dumb idea for states to do this, but as far as we can tell by the way Congress wrote the law, uh, states do still have the right to limit local authority. So the next significant thing that happened in 2004 was that in the middle of the year or so, Uh, the city of Lafayette, Louisiana, uh, started to um, explore the possibility of developing a fiber network, and uh, Bell South uh, responded with a bill that was uh, 
called the ALEC bill. Uh, that's what it said on its face. The American was, Legislative Exchange Council bill, right? A-L-E-C? That's correct. And that bill was essentially almost identical to the law that had been passed in Utah in uh, 2001. When when that uh, bill was introduced into the uh, legislature in Louisiana, uh, the governor of Louisiana, uh, Kathleen Blanco, said to uh, Louis said to Lafayette and to Bell South and to Cox and uh, a few of the trade associations representing uh, the industry and uh, cities, uh, here's my conference room. Go in and. Uh, negotiate a bill that I can sign and that the legislature can pass. Uh, none of us thought that we could achieve that, but we took a month of uh, hard negotiating and um, we went through the ALAC model uh, line by line, word by word, and we came up with a uh, statute that uh, we thought Lafayette could live with. In fact, during the last day of those negotiations, we walked the um, uh, the other participants step by step through the legislation on every thing that Lafayette was expecting to do. Uh, they checked with their uh, offices in Atlanta, approved it. Uh, the bill went to the legislature, which almost unanimously adopted it. The governor signed it, and uh, uh, then uh, Bell South had a case of amnesia and forgot what it had agreed to and promptly sued uh, Lafayette. And to um, make that long story short, uh, that took three years of litigation. Finally, a unanimous decision by the Louisiana Supreme Court approving the city's ability to move forward with its project. But in any event, so what we had heading toward the end of uh, 2004 was now legislation uh, that had taken the ALEC bill and modified it in numerous ways in order to make it possible for a municipality to go forward and provide communication services and also provide for a level of protection for the private sector that uh, they thought was appropriate. You can tell me I'm wrong. We we cover this a little bit in a, in a case study we did of Bristol, Lafayette, and Chattanooga. Um, but you know, I think you did a you did a good job because as I read it, Lafayette is certainly subject to more onerous regulation than is any private company in Lafayette or in Louisiana, rather. Uh, nonetheless, as time has told, uh, their network's doing well, and they haven't been um, overly burdened to the point at which they were not able to make it work for themselves. Also. Um, the legislation that we negotiated was amended to make it more restrictive uh, in uh, subsequent years, but the legislation as it stood at the time that uh, uh, our negotiations ended was workable, as as you point out, uh, history has confirmed that. And um, so there, there you have that. And then we get to the end of uh, November and... Um, uh, what was unusual about Pennsylvania is that most legislatures and uh, state legislatures end their terms by mid-year. And so in the case of Pennsylvania, they have a full year of legislation. Uh, that was the only story around 
in the uh, communications world, and um, it was followed worldwide, and ultimately uh, the bill, which as I mentioned in the last program, had started out as a bill to prevent other Kutztowns from emerging in Pennsylvania uh, by the end of 2004, uh, was now also going to prohibit uh, wireless projects, in particular the one in Philadelphia that was then under discussion. And um, uh, as it happens, the, the uh, legislature, uh, with severe pressure from Verizon, did enact that legislation. And so there we were at the end of 2004 uh, with a, a huge loss before the Supreme Court and uh, a new piece of legislation in Pennsylvania that uh, was really an ugly bill. Uh, it not you know, what it did was uh, essentially gave Verizon a right to decide whether or not to allow communities to provide communication services. Um, and the only criterion in the law was speed uh, of uh, you know, broadband speed. And so if a community uh, wanted to provide a broadband network um, because it, it made sense to couple that with its uh, electric utilities because the quality of service provided by the private sector was terrible or the rates were too high, none of that was relevant. The only thing that was relevant was speed. And if a community said that it wanted to provide service at a certain speed, if Verizon said, well, we can match that speed or we're already providing that speed, holding aside the rates, the quality, the customer service, we can preclude uh, local governments from doing that, and there are more complications. Well, that bill set off such a wave of fear and revulsion across the country, um, and it, um, it led us to believe that we would see in 2005 bills like it all across the country, that we were able to piece together a huge coalition of organizations that represented local governments, such as the National League of Cities and the Conference of Mayors and uh, NATOA and the American Public Power Association. We, we also uh, had the support of uh, citizens groups, uh, public interest organizations, uh, utility organizations, but most important, high-tech companies such as Intel and Dell and Hewlett-Packard and others uh, who helped us uh, put together a coalition that fought what turned out to be uh, almost uh, what 14 bills were introduced in various states across the country, and uh, we were able to either defeat altogether or to uh, water down almost all of them, there, you know, not entirely all of them, but almost all of them because of this huge group of um, entities that opposed uh, further barriers. And for a period of five years, uh, we were very successful in defeating other uh, state barriers proposed in many places, and they eventually uh, petered out their only uh, one or two a year introduced mostly in um, North Carolina, 
there. We fought a battle every year for uh, five years until finally losing. And virtually everywhere else, we ended up stopping uh, barriers proposed at the state level. 2010 was when the state house shifted, but it wasn't until 2011 that the legislation was passed. And uh, for people who'd like to know more, we did an interview with Catherine Rice that um, uh, folks can check out in a previous show. You're absolutely right. It was the elections in the fall of 2010 that um, uh, turned around the legislature in North Carolina. And you're right, it was 2011 that um, uh, resulted in defeat at last. Since 2011, uh, we've also run into opposition uh, in uh, South Carolina and held them off for a couple of years and finally uh, lost last year and um, a few other states. These are, re- these are all uh, documented on both uh, your website, our website, www.baller.com, with the um, records of the bills and, and the submissions of various interested parties. You can find all of that there. There's one other thing that I, I just wanted to note, though. At this, it's interesting that at the same time the industry is saying these cities shouldn't be doing this, uh, the industry was finally starting to catch up and thinking about investing in the same technology, the fiber optics, that these cities had pioneered taking all the way to the home. That's true. Uh, that's right. Um, certainly Verizon and uh, AT&T, which was then uh, Southwestern Bell and SBC. This was before AT&T even. It was, you know, the different Bell companies were independently coming to their own conclusions, it seems. Right, right. And S- SBC, uh, Bell South, and Verizon got together on a big uh, RFP to um, attract equipment and systems providers and to negotiate Uh, common rates so that they could provide their particular selections of technology and uh, make the um, uh, cost of the components and and the equipment and the services substantially lower than uh, they had been before. So uh, you're absolutely right. They were were moving uh, into fiber, uh, but not everywhere, of course. Uh, they, They had their own strategies different strategies for how to do this, how far to extend fiber into communities ranging from uh, southwestern bells or or SBCs, essentially using uh, a technology that we refer to as uh, ADSL2+, which is a fiber to a neighborhood node, and then um, uh, copper from there on. Uh, Verizon's FIOS plans were to take fiber all the way to the home in the areas where they chose to deploy FIOS, and that was not everywhere. And uh, Bell South was somewhere between uh, between the two others. Um, Chris, I also wanted to mention that uh, during the years when we pieced together this large coalition to battle at the state level, uh, this coalition was operating well and uh, functioning very well when a uh, uh, representative of the U.S. House of Representatives from Texas introduced a bill in Congress uh, to uh, essentially bar municipal broadband networks. Uh, Congressman Pete Sessions introduced a bill 
and that then uh, shifted attention of uh, the country to uh, actions in Congress on barriers to entry. We eventually uh, countered with what became called the uh, Community Broadband Act uh, in uh, 2006. We actually got our version of the Community Broadband Act all the way through through the House of Representatives and through the uh, through the uh, Senate Commerce Committee, and uh, it was heading to the floor in the Senate when um, we had the elections of 2006 that changed the character of Congress, and there's been no significant uh, telecommunications uh, legislation that's passed uh, since that change. Now, who were who were some of the people that were responsible for that? I just want to to credit them. I know that um, if I remember correctly, Senators McCain and Lautenberg were a bipartisan team in the Senate, uh, and then you had uh, Representative Boucher, uh, Boucher from Boucher, yes, yeah, Rick Boucher, and then you had Representative Rick Boucher from uh, Bristol, Virginia area, who was yeah. just a tireless champion uh, for them. Uh, who else? Well, on the House, uh, Fred Upton. Uh, of Michigan uh, was the uh, co-sponsor with Rick Boucher of the House uh, bill. And uh, we had uh, ultimately, I believe, eight co-sponsors on the Senate side. Um, and uh, one, y- you can go to our website for the uh, uh, legislation and legislative history and, on, on all of that. Uh, Lindsey Graham and uh, some others um, were uh, uh, co-sponsors of our uh, bill on the Senate side. Okay, and um, Jim, how do you want to wrap this up with a few minutes we have left? Uh, we've talked about the uh, uh, fights over barriers in the uh, uh, states and in Congress. Uh, in the meanwhile, while all this is going on, you have the uh, uh, the major carriers, um, uh, Bell South, Verizon, and uh, Southwestern Bell uh, moving toward fiber, at the same time, you have a wave of communities across the country developing public uh, networks. Your list now tracks approximately 89 uh, municipal fiber networks. During this period, by about uh, 2009, we had uh, gotten up to about 55, 54, 55 or so, uh, according to um, uh, Mike Render of uh, Render Vanderslice Associates that tracks fiber networks. And um, uh, he did a, a report in October 2009 uh, finding that virtually all of these networks uh, were uh, doing well. Um, they were, uh, they had take rates of, uh, at the time, about 54, 55% as compared to the take rates for the uh, private sector entities of about 22, 23, 24%. And um, uh, municipalities, uh, one could uh, fairly say, uh, were uh, very much ahead and leading the development of fiber to the home, particularly in large projects that covered whole communities as distinguished from uh, doing uh, services in limited areas 
such as, uh, for example, uh, Verizon's uh, development of Fios networks in uh, donuts around major cities, but not in the heart of many major cities at the same time. So uh, a conclusion I would draw would be that during this period, uh, while the battles were going on about uh, preventing uh, municipalities from providing such services, in fact, in the field, uh, a number of systems were developing. They were highly popular with their communities. They were doing uh, many good things for their communities, in including supporting economic development and educational opportunity and all of that. And um, so we're, we're now at about the uh, latter part of the 2000s, and uh, we're about to get into um, what's, what's happening today. Right, and I think there's so much more to talk about. I think we could spend uh, more time going into greater detail in some of those state fights and some of the, the interesting stories that came out of them, um, whether it was um, a surprising twist or surprising allies. It's uh, uh, something we'll, we could possibly come back to. Uh, well, almost certainly we're going to spend some time talking about the wireless and the municipal wireless, Muni Wi-Fi. In a, in a future show. But people should certainly feel free to leave a comment on this story or to send us a note to suggest some aspects of this history that you'd like us to cover. Uh, because I think it's important and it's hard to find this history without having access to someone like Jim who's lived it. So um, you know, feel free to, to ask us questions. Um, we, have, uh, we have plenty more history to talk about as far as I can tell. Um, we're, also, we're almost up to the National Broadband Act as well, Jim, which I know is near and dear to your heart. So uh, we have a lot of topics to talk about in the future. Well, Chris, I'm uh, very grateful for your doing this series, and uh, I look forward to following uh, the discussion wherever you want to take it. Great. Thank you, Jim. That was Jim Baller from the Baller Herbst Law Firm. You heard Jim refer to their website at baller.com. Be sure to check out their extensive library of historical and legal resources. Jim will be back in the future to talk more about community networks, and if there's a specific topic you want him to address, let us know. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org, and we'll be sure to include it in the discussion. Likewise, if you have other ideas for future podcast discussions, please send us a note. Thanks again for listening to the Broadband Bits podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at Community Nets. This show was released on October 8, 2013. We want to thank the group Break the Bands once again for their song, Escape, licensed using Creative Commons. Thanks for listening. A shadow.